Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you this week by Celebrate Water, a year-long series of activities to celebrate Door County's water, understand the threats to our water, and inspire people to act and protect our water. Celebrate Water. Together, we can make waves. Find out more at CelebrateWaterDoorCounty.com. Welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast, where each week we'll talk with the writers and editors of the Peninsula Pulse about stories you can find in this week's issue. I'm Andrew Clyden, and this Friday, the Pulse releases its 12th annual sustainability issue. Today, I'm joined by Miles Danhausen, editor and writer for the Peninsula Pulse, to talk about the future of farming on the Door Peninsula. But first, Miles, what is the sustainability issue, and why do we do it every year? The Sustainability issue actually sprouted out of a conversation I was having with uh, Pulse founder David Elliott. Um, gosh, way back when I was going to school at UWGB, taking a class on sustainable development. And I was talking to Dave about some of the ideas I was learning about there at UWGB. And he said, oh, well, what if we did a sustainable development issue rather than kind of highlighting growth and business and um maybe some of these other topics that are, would be common for a newspaper. He he wanted to say, like, what are ways that people are growing in this county sustainably? Because our our natural um, assets are the most important thing we have. And that is why we have any economy to start with. So how do we, how do we grow? How do we develop and also maintain um, that, that beautiful natural landscape that we have? Hey, that's great. What are some of the uh, articles that we can expect to find in this year's issue? Well, in this year's issue, we really wanted to delve into what the future of farming is going to be like on the Door Peninsula. Um, as development pressures mount, farming decreases. Uh, there are fewer dairy farms, fewer cows, much less land in, in cropland. So we wanted to look at all sorts of different aspects affecting the future of farming here. Uh, we have Luca Fagundis, an immigration attorney who wrote a column about how many um, dairies are, are using immigrant labor and awesome undocumented immigrant labor. Um, Jackson Parr did a lot of investigating into farmland economics and how, how we're preserving farmland up here. I looked at some issues about succession on the farm and what do farmers do when it's time to retire? They don't have often 401ks. They don't have retirement plans. It's hopefully the kid buys it from them or takes it over or they just keep farming until they're done. Some of them are farming till they're 90. Um, and then Alyssa Skiba took a different tack and looked at niche farming, uh, organic farmers who are kind of getting, there's, there's more and more of a, of a niche for them to target restaurants and to target people going to farm markets. And the farm market scene in Door County is, is better than ever. So we looked at a lot of different topics. Jim Lumpton did some great investigative work of his own on some of the different aspects that, that farmers are bringing to the table to, to make their farms economical now. Well, you also, you had a chance to write about some of the new technology that's being used in local dairy farms. Uh, what did you find out? Yeah, so the article I wrote for the sustainability issue this year was, um, well, I wrote a couple of different ones, but one that was really uh, fun to work on was looking at technology on the dairy farms today in Door County and how that's changing lifestyles for farmers and some of the costs associated with that. Cool, and uh, I know that you looked at some different types of tech that have been uh, integrated into into farming. Can you tell us a little bit about a couple of the the types of new technology that's being implemented? Yeah, one of the the big things that farmers are are using or smaller farmers are starting to use are robotic milkers, which you don't necessarily equate small or medium sized farms with breakthrough technology 
uh, especially up here on the Door Peninsula. But some of these farmers are using high quality technology. Um, they're walking around with apps on their phone and testing and, and checking the quality of the milk, the quantity of the milk coming in, the health of their cows, all through apps that are connected to uh, kind of like a, a, a bovine Fitbit on their dairy cows. So one farm that I visited back in November is the Olson Family Farms in Southern Door. And they're a fifth generation farm and they learned it from their father and their father learned it from his father and so on and so on. And they put in these robotic milkers. Well, first I'll say like what they've been doing for generations is milking these cows by hand. They have 100 cows in a tie stall barn where they get down underneath the cow every day and they have to spend about an hour and 45 minutes with two people milking those 100 cows. And this involves getting them all in the barn, then going through, you have to, to clean the, the udders and hook up the milking machine, all the while getting hit by a cow's tail or possibly getting kicked and, and bumped around. And then it takes about seven minutes per cow. It's an arduous task. It's Most of the farmers tell me it was it would take its toll on their knees and it was one of those things where you would milk them in the morning, go out, work in the field, and all at the same time every day, you had to stop what you were doing, and everyone had to hustle back into the dairy farm because the cows need to be milked. So what they're doing now is they're putting in these robotic milkers, and these robotic milkers save tons of time each week. This farmer told me that it, it's saving them as much as 21 man hours a week in labor to just on a, a medium-sized farm. This thing has been so efficient and so helpful for them that they have gone from 100 dairy cows and actually been able to cut down to 60 dairy cows and produce even more milk than they did with 100 with these robotic milkers. Well, that's really interesting because I, I guess traditionally when you think of farming, you think small farming and you think very uh, salt of the earth and you know hands in it kind of stuff. But then you think of these larger commercial farms with their bigger machinery and, and more self-automation. It's interesting that now these smaller to medium-sized farms can it can integrate things that, that we use, cell phones, stuff like that, to automate their processes. And, and farming is really taking a step forward in that way. Now, did you get a chance to talk to any local farmers about how they're using new technologies in their farms here in Door County? Yeah. Well, there's, the, there's actually three different farms that I was able to talk to that are using these robotic milkers. Uh, two of them that I visited personally are the uh, Rob Kino's farm in Egg Harbor, uh, who several different farmers had told me, this is a guy who, who really knows his science and is really up on technology. And the Olson Family Farms, which was the first farm in Door County to um, get a robotic milker. And they've actually, they give tours. So people come out there all the time, school groups come out there all the time. Just random people who are interested in the machine and what it is, will come through and they tour it and they are so happy to show off this technology. It's, it's kind of funny. You think of, I, I grew up picking rocks on a farm, my neighbor's farm in, in Egg Harbor for about three bucks an hour, probably my first job, first paid job on a one of those old school tractors with the with no cabin, just like an open air tractor. And now you go to them and not only do their tractors have incredible technology, if you sit in the cab of most of these combines today, they have iPads. They they're they're with their phone. They're getting they're controlled by GPS. Now that's that's what the farmer is. He's a guy using technology just as as much as any business owner up here. And it's it's a big expensive endeavor. They're they're spending two hundred to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars on these robotic milkers to put in their uh, milk barns. 
Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, any other any other things from the article that you wanted to, to touch on? I know that uh, when I was perusing, I saw the uh, the almost Roomba-like things that are, are cleaning up the stalls and stuff like that, kind of taking some of the dirty work out of the farm and automating those kind of things. Yeah, that was actually really cool to see the uh, at the Olsen family farm. As we're sitting there looking at this robotic milker, I look down the, the stall and here comes this little Roomba-like uh, machine just cleaning out the the cow's manure <laughs> and uh, doing this job that they were telling me used to be done either with guys going in with rakes and cleaning out these stalls and then somebody else coming through with a skid steer to move all this stuff. So now this machine just works its way around the barn um, throughout the day, keeping the stall cleaner more often and again, saving a lot of labor. And for these farmers, it's amazing what this has done for their lifestyles. They told me that when when they had to milk every day, they couldn't go to their kids' basketball games. They couldn't go on vacations. You can't go on vacation if your cow's got to be milked. And now with these robotic milkers, they don't need quite as much labor. And these one of the farmers I talked to took a vacation in Norway. That would have been unthinkable for his parents 30, 40 years ago. And they just, they seem like the weight of the world is off their shoulders compared to farms I might have visited five, 10 years ago. It just helps them to to keep their farm in the family as well. Because some of these guys are like, I, I was thinking of getting out of farming in a few years, but this has made me think I can do this for 10 or 15, 20 more years if it's not going to take that kind of toll on my body. And then they help, they hope that it um, inspires their kids to stay in farming if it takes away what a lot of them consider one of the, the hardest parts of the job. Uh, you also had a chance to talk to Jackson Parr about his article. Did you have anything that you wanted to say to preface that before we get into it? Yeah, Jackson has, um, for a young guy, he's got a nose for some really, um, well, what other people might call it mundane topics. Uh, but he does a great job of looking at a lot of the issues that farmers are facing, particularly the economics of maintaining land in farmland. And we talked a little bit about what he found out digging into some of those topics and talking to farmers in Door County. Well, with that being said, let's move right along to our interview this week with Jackson Parr. Jackson, the, the, the Door County landscape is filled with these beautiful country roads. Um, people come up here from all over the, the world to see it. Um, but that's changing. And your article, The Future of Farm Landscapes in the Sustainability Issue, you point out that we've lost 40% of our farmland since 1950. Why is that happening? One of the biggest uh, reasons for the loss of farmland is really development. So a lot of people like to call it sprawl, suburban suburban sprawl. So as, as urban epicenters get wider, as people seek to live not downtown, but, you know, get their own acre of land outside of the city, um, they develop that land and the land also gets fragmented. So you put a house in a, in a, in a plot of farmland and all of a sudden that ag land is not as valuable to the farmer because they got to farm around a house. So, so the loss, the segmentation of it is also kind of a reason that the overall acreage of farmland is decreasing. And then is, uh, what role do taxes play in that, uh, that changing landscape? Are farmers kind of getting forced off their land or is it just a simple economic decision of people seeking the, the best best dollar. So there is one uh, program in the state, uh, policy I should say, that incentivizes 
agricultural land to be kept in agriculture. It's called a use value assessment. So implemented in uh, the late 90s, it assesses for tax purposes, it assesses the agriculture land at its production value, not at its market value. So up here in Door County, you might see a 40-acre cornfield that would sell on the market since land value up here is is pretty in pretty high demand. 40-acre cornfield might sell for $600,000, $500,000, 10000 an acre roughly. But as far as tax assessment goes, they assess it on the value of its its production value. So the owner of that land, the property taxes, they might pay $100, $200 on that, on that same, same acreage. So it, it decreases the property tax burden for agricultural land with the idea that that property tax relief will encourage that property owner, well, whether it's the farmer or someone else who's renting the land, uh, to keep the land in agriculture. Are there drawbacks to, to use, using some of these in incentives to keep it in farmland? So the use value assessment has come under some scrutiny. Some people say it's abused. There's a case in Delafield just outside of Milwaukee late, earlier this year where a man was using uh, use value assessment because he planted a couple of Christmas trees on his yard and said, once I sell these Christmas trees, I'm, that's agriculture. Uh, <laughs> and his assessment was actually decreased by $800,000. So the, wow. the town wasn't too happy about that, and it's going before the Wisconsin Supreme Court now. So the towns lose that those tax dollars. The towns lose those tax dollars. So uh, Mike Coles, the direct, executive director of the Wisconsin Towns Association, uh, talked a little bit about how towns being strapped for cash, given uh, levy limits, difficulty that municipalities are having in, in raising revenue, uh, towns are almost incentivized to convert land from agriculture to development because it'll take it out of use value assessment and towns will see more money. They'll, they'll increase their, their property tax revenue. Um, so there's kind of a, a, a battle going on there between um, towns who are looking for money, uh, particularly rural towns that have a, a lot of land in agriculture, which is being in agriculture, it's not assessed very high, so there's very little revenue for the town, but also kind of wanting to preserve that that rural landscape. I mean, those people that live there, they live there because that that landscape, that ag landscape, they like looking out at the wheat field. I know I do. Yeah, you're, you're seeing that battle all over the county where where towns are looking at the outskirts of their villages. Sister Bay is looking at the outskirts of their village. Uh, Liberty Grove's worried about these consequences. Sturgeon Bay sprawling into Niswapi. Um, just to gobble up some more tax dollars and and get some more revenue to pay for the services that they can't afford to pay for anymore. And a, a quick aside, it's also straining the local school districts. So Southern Door in particular, I know, being a highly rural agricultural school district, there's not much property taxes funneling in from those cornfields. So so they have a hard the school itself has a hard time raising funds because they get their their revenue, most of their revenue from property taxes. And there's not much property tax to be had on, on ag land. What made you, like, not a lot of people love dig, digging into property values and taxes and things. You've written a lot about this for The Pulse over the last few weeks, really over the last couple of years. And you've really been digging into a lot of these land use questions. What made you do that? I might say that it's because I'm now a property owner who's paying property taxes. <laughs> but uh, um, 
I just think it's interesting to see uh, the true disparity in in where ta- tax dollars are coming from and where they go to. Um, revenue in government is is from taxes. So anything the government has to do kind of relies on, on those tax dollars. Property taxes in, in particular interest me because uh, it's it's much more highly local. So the property taxes I pay in Bailey's Harbor, for the most part, they fund the services that I use in Bailey's Harbor. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm interested in that also because I, I think people have a little more stake in in that, being that it's so local. They feel a little more um, responsibility for how those dollars are used. They get a little mm-hmm. bit more invested in um, in the use of those dollars as opposed to, you know, federal conversations about health care and military spending. So, Sure. Um, so we just finished uh, six weeks of reporting on on farms in, in Door County, really months and months of reporting, but six weeks of actually running the articles. You wrote about a lot of different aspects of of the future of farming in Door County. What what kind of surprised you most in all those conversations with different farmers, young farmers, old farmers, um, farmers who are getting out? What um, struck you the most? I think definitely in, in Door County uh, and really on the peninsula in general, so Kewanee County as well, you do frequently hear the narrative that uh, the big farms are the, the culprit of of many of the the issues, and we sat down. And we talked to a lot of those those big farmers, and they do really care about the community. Which sounds it's almost dumb to say out loud because uh, they they live in the community. Um, mm-hmm. But there there is definitely a concerted effort to address problems that the the community sees, particularly in in we'll say environmental conservation groundwater. Yeah, I mean that that struck me as as well. Um, you kind of see this as like two drastically different people. Like these guys hate the land. These guys love the land. Um, that's not what it is at all. I mean, they're just coming at things from different viewpoints. That's not to say one might not be wrong or right. It's just that they, there isn't that, um, that, that split that maybe is sometimes perceived by one side or the other. So did you, Jim Lundstrom came up with the idea of having a, a round table discussion and doing this sustainability issue and talking to farmers and getting a lot of farmers together and hearing their viewpoint. What did you think when, when Jim first brought that idea forward? Where did you think that would go? Well, I was excited about it, but I had very little faith that those who we wanted to talk to would honestly tr- trust us to to put out their story in the way they feel it should be told. Why do you um, feel that way? We've all read the stories about tainted groundwater. We've seen the the pictures of the glass mason jars filled with brown water that were poured from someone's sink, and the narrative out there is is that it's it's these big farms that are that are causing this. Uh, I have no value judgment on whether that's true or not, or who should be responsible for cleaning it up. But as as a media outlet, we we're partly responsible for for that narrative. That's yep. it's it's the news. It's what what we report on. Um, and I, I think that, I, I guess I was worried that there was kind of a distrust of, of us from the, from the large farm groups. And I, I think that's a valid concern. If you look back at, I mean, there were, for a long time, certain farmers didn't want to talk to us at all. They just had a fear of getting the story wrong or just always being the bad guy. Yeah. And I think part of that is, uh, farmers themselves, they're, my dad who grew up on a farm would tell you he, 
they're not the best communicators. Um, I don't know if I don't know if a local farm has a strategic communication plan in place, but part of that is but, our responsibility to to go seek those those stories. And, and, and some and, of these farms have have gone about getting a kind of banding together to get that communication effort in place. Yeah. So I mean, Peninsula Pride Farms locally is is probably the the biggest one um, that they're working on telling their story. And again, whether their story is is right or wrong or exaggerated is not for us as a media outlet to decide, but they have a story that they feel has gone untold. So I think this series we did, uh, Farming the Peninsula, leading up to our sustainability issue, was was really an attempt at, at telling that story. So one of the first steps we took was was getting that group of farmers together for a little roundtable and we invited a lot of different farmers, and I think would we have five or six in the room yeah. at the Sturgeon Bay Library. And I honestly didn't know if like some of them would walk in and just clam up and keep their mouth shut and just, and or if some of them wouldn't show up. I remember you, Jim, and I just sitting there waiting for people to to walk in the door and going, I hope somebody comes in here. And I was I was really pleasantly surprised to see once you got farmers because we all go and interview them one on one or interview them on the phone. But then you get a bunch of farmers next to each other riffing back and forth, all with different sized farms. Some of them really big, some of them really small. Um, that was pretty interesting to see, just that that give and take from them. Well, and one of the, I mean, right off the bat, I think this was even before everyone had gotten there. We, Jim and I were just sitting there talking to Don Niles, and he he kind of s- stepped back and said, "You know, it's really cool that that you guys are doing this. I don't know if I don't know if we've ever done this, if we've ever gotten a group of us together." to just talk about the industry with people who aren't in the industry. Um, And then to start with that and move into what ended up being a a two plus hour conversation. I mean, naturally in interviews as they, as they go on and on, people get a little more loose. They, they're not so worried about what they're saying with with the reporter there. Uh, And yeah, I mean, the material we got there, I think was, invaluable and impossible to get in any other way than than just creating a space without judgment yeah or without agenda um and you hit it on the head with with just like the the style of a farmer not necessarily being an outgoing and, and wanting to communicate all the time or even having that opportunity to because for je- decades and decades generations and generations they're in the field all day my dad told me once that you know, the farmers have most of the land, but they're not involved in any of the land use discussions because those meetings go on without them. Like they're not, they don't have the time to go to the, to, to a smart growth meeting and plan commission meetings and, and sit on the board all the time. I mean, some do and, and good for them for finding that time. But the, the farmers that surround my, my father's house in Egg Harbor, they, they don't leave that, that, that work that often. Yeah. And I think it was Lee Kennard who said, I mean, his, his conversations off the farm were leaning out the dairy barn window in the morning to his neighbor to the west saying hi, and then leaning out the dairy barn window in the evening to the east saying hi to his, his other neighbor. Uh, so I think, and I think that there there's definitely an effort in the farm community to to tell their story. So we're, I guess we were thankful to that they would open up to us. Yeah, it was, it was fun to look at. And it was, I learned a lot looking on the technology side of just like, I mean, I knew they had iPads and things in their tractors now, but just the amount of money, a quarter million dollars for a robot milker, um, and the technology that they're using day to day, using apps, using computers and iPads to to monitor their animals and, and monitor their crops and 
map out their fields. It's uh, so much more scientific. And even as we talked to the folks at that roundtable, um, how many of them had gone on to college and gotten either farm science degrees or other degrees and brought that back to the farm, business degrees back to the farm, and how much they rely on consultants for so many different things. And they're just seeking out input all the time, probably more so than a lot of other business owners do. Yeah. And I, I think, again, for, for better or worse, it's a huge, the big ag is a huge part of our region, our state, our country. And I think uh, there's so much that that people don't know. I mean, I don't know if it's the bubble that I live in, but I probably know more about the sustainable, organic 40-acre farmer than I do about the guy who's running 1,200 acres. Yeah. Which... And as reporters, we we start to... You can easily get stuck in a bubble and gravitate toward a certain type of story all the time. And sometimes it's, it's helpful to step back and, as we did with this series, and go, what's the what's the bigger story? What's the, the wider lens on, on this topic? Um, and who are we missing? And... Uh, it was it was it was really fun to to find some of those people we were missing. Yeah, I mean we've done I don't want to say countless, but many stories on on those those small farms that are doing they're doing new things. They're sustainable practices, organic, really cool um, things. Very cool things. But but then even just from a numbers standpoint, if you look at acreage on Indoor County, I w- I would say ninety ninety five percent is in this kind of more commercial agriculture sector. So there's this huge part of the community that um, acreage-wise that people don't know much about. Yeah, and we all want our farms to be some version of a cartoon we saw 80 years ago of a barn with six cows and a few chickens and a few of this and a few of that. That doesn't, I mean, it exists in small chunks now, but that's not how most of our food is made and that's not where most of our food comes from. And, you know, perhaps we are moving to a, to a small farm system where b- back to when everybody had their 40, 50 acres and there were six cows and five chickens and you, you fed your neighbors. Uh, there's a little bit of that, but but as far as right now, there's a huge part of the industry that I, I feel like we've, we haven't really tapped into before, before right. this series. So, And that's okay. not, like we said, that's not to say that that's the only angle anymore, but it was, it was nice to de- take a deep dive into that. Uh, amidst all those other stories we've written on other topics of it. So, well, Jackson, thanks for all your work on all these articles. Um, And you can find the Peninsula Pulse sustainability issue out on newsstands and basically everywhere that's open in Door County. Thanks, Miles. Hey, Miles, that was a great interview with Jackson. Thank you so much again for being on this week and talking to me about the sustainability issue. Thank you, Andrew. It was great to do it. stories and more will be available in this week's issue of the Peninsula Pulse, available throughout Door County. For more headlines, visit DoorCountyPulse.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast for your weekly Pulse picks, interviews, and exclusive content from the Peninsula Pulse. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.